1: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC podcast.
2: This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullin. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome to Play Me, your ticket to some of the hottest shows by award-winning playwrights. We are back with part two of the Governor General award-winning play, Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes by Hannah Moscovich.
1: Here's a quick recap of part one. John is a successful writer and charming professor on the brink of his third divorce. Annie is his 19-year-old university student and a super fan of his work. She sits front row in John's lectures and crosses his path on her way to and from school. They form a casual friendship when Annie gets locked out of her home. But one day, John finds himself inviting her inside.
2: This is part two of three of Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes by Hannah Moskovich, featuring the cast from The Belfry Production, Sarah Canning and Vincent Gale.
3: This one. You don't? No, I do. It's just, it's Shakespeare. There's a fairly wide consensus that he's good at what he does, so... Romeo and Juliet, that's the one you like the best. <laughs> Is that...? No, that's good. That's fine. It's a good one. It is.
0: You're making fun of me for I'm liking. Not. But your work's also about love, and there's also wide consensus that it's you're good. Comparing that comparing my good characters writer. who are
3: shitty at love to the balcony scene to arguably the most romantic. Wide consensus is different than universal worldwide acclaim.
0: Is it that Shakespeare's uncool? No.
3: It's that you can't.
0: Because compare. I'm not saying you're uncool. You're cool. Huh.
3: My wife once told me that she liked my work because it reminded her of Hemingway and film noir. It was very winning.
0: Is your wife... Is... Does she live in this house with you? I thought...
3: You thought what? We're separated.
0: Oh, that makes...
3: Do you, um... Do you know you're coming on to me? I can't work out if... Are you coming on to me because I seem like an out-of-reach adult? Do you know you're hitting on me? I can't. I can't tell what's... You should go home.
2: Okay.
0: I I was just joking. (laughs) I I wasn't...
3: This, I should not, uh, this, this, yeah. So yeah, yes, he, um, he'd woken up and seen the dent in the sheet where... Uh, and then he'd wandered around his house, his heart beating weirdly. And by then, he was pushing it for time, so he threw his clothes on and headed to campus, frazzled, unshowered in a Mental mess. And he walked out into the auditorium and there was Annie. In the front row, laptop out, looking up at him. After the lecture, he walked back to his office and sat through office hours, as students came and agonized over their grades and more broadly their intelligence. Then he'd roused himself, jogged home, put some leftovers in the microwave, and paced the hallway for so long that the food was cold by the time he went back and opened the microwave. he turned the microwave on again, and then continued to stand there in his kitchen and to allow the sickening thoughts to well up, which were... What the fuck was he doing? And more generally, what the fuck? And what the fuck was he doing? It was so stupid, he... Yeah, yes, he was depressed about his wife leaving him. Yes, and yeah, he felt a little like, fuck it, but but for an author, he'd always been so fucking responsible. With a diversified stock portfolio and a rental property, which of course turned out to be less of a rental property and more of an exit strategy for his wife, and a Subaru with airbags, and a job at a world-class college, even though it was a badge of honor amongst writers to quit their jobs, and of course a marriage, which had turned into marriages, and then a dumpster fire of marriages meant so much for his jaunty middle-classness. His authors can be normal too, as he was fucking it all up, racking up ex-wives like a maniac, like Ernest Hemingway, fucking Jack Kerouac, and now a girl, a teenage girl like a cherry on top, as a full fucking referendum on his personality, just to prove he was a total piece of shit. And that's when the doorbell rang, and he opened the door, and there was... Annie. And he was stunned that she could ring his fucking doorbell and be standing there. On his doorstep so he pulled her inside to get her out of the doorway but then she was inside his house and the wrongness of what had happened a sickening fact of having mashed his gross adult body up against her small teenage one only the night before was suddenly so present in the form of annie herself
0: I came by because I left. And right,
3: right. That makes...
0: I hope that's...
3: Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh... Annie, I'm very sorry uh, about yesterday. I've been uh, thinking about it. you, and I'm sorry. Look, I shouldn't have... I, um, I shouldn't have done that.
0: You don't want to do this more than once?
3: No, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying this, between us, in the faculty handbook, this, I'm not allowed to do this.
0: Huh. I thought because you're an author.
3: Uh, no. Any, I haven't read the fine print, but there'd be a hearing, and then a committee of my colleagues would make a decision as to whether or not I'd be fired. I don't have to tell anyone. Yeah, weirdly enough, that doesn't make me feel any better about myself. I
0: liked your lecture.
3: Yeah? The you part look about
0: autofiction. Blank. blank, no! Auto yeah,
3: was was the good part.
0: It, it was all good, but my mom says you should compliment specifically so people know you mean it. So I like the <laughs> yeah the auto fiction part.
3: I wasn't paying attention. I I didn't know what I was saying. You weren't. Didn't show.
0: No, it was a really good lecture. All the adjectives for good. I wish I had taken better notes. You said some things that I... Yeah, my notes aren't good. Someone will have it recorded,
3: so... Annie, you know I gave that lecture.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
3: You're talking to me like I'm not the person who gave the lecture.
0: (laughs) Were you... not paying attention during your lecture because of... me? Yeah. Yeah? The
3: whole time. Ringing in my ears and looking at you and...
0: I mean, I can't help but like that.
3: Yeah? Yeah. Well, yeah, he didn't stop. He couldn't seem to, or he didn't, yeah, stop. And for a week now, it felt like the whole world had receded. Like it was a, a dim sideshow. the main event. The living moment with this woman, Annie, who was quick and thoughtful and candid and unusual. And she had that cautious sense of humor that came out sometimes primordially. And it felt like contained in her was this maddening clawing, And he liked it when she talked. He liked her. I mean, no question. Fucking a nineteen-year-old was not good, but being with Annie didn't feel bad or creepy. It it it, it felt
2: good.
1: Right back.
0: I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real.
1: Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other.
0: There's something going on with him. It's like an act.
3: I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I'm, I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You
1: understand? Limited capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: We
0: went so long, my legs hurt.
3: Hmm. Can I ask... What's sex like with the teenagers you normally... I don't know. What, you take your clothes off, fuck for two minutes, and then you're texting your friends? LOL, he was so bad at sex.
0: (laughs) We say bad at sex, yeah.
3: Come on, what's it like?
0: I don't know, it's more... I don't know. I don't know, you're like an actual man. You have, like, a lot of... Specific things you like. Anyone my age is more like, yay, we're fucking. It's good you're more specific. I meant it in a good way. How are the lumberjacks?
3: The sex scene I'm working on is a lot like what we do. Yeah? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah.
0: That's... And from what I know from um, interviews with authors, sex scenes are difficult to write.
3: Thanks for the help.
0: <laughs> in high school, I wrote this essay that was about how I was with a guy I barely liked. I gave him a hand job in the parking lot outside a mall because... Yeah, because, uh, I don't know, I sometimes stop (laughs) feeling like it mattered what I did. I I didn't fit in well in high school. Suburbs. So I should send it to you. The essay. If, uh,
3: if... Annie, I probably can't look at your writing right away. I'm in the middle of grading graduate work. I, I didn't. To, I-, I wasn't but...
0: angling. I hope you don't think I...
3: Look, I don't know why I said that. Of course I can look at it. No, it's okay. No, no. I I want to read it anyhow. I want to. No, it- it's okay. No, I mean it. Send it to me. No. It was good. It was, it was good. Last night, late, he'd seen the email from Annie pop up in his inbox and he'd closed his laptop and he'd gone and poured himself a whiskey because yes, yeah, he'd been scared shitless that it was gonna be. He was so oddly thrilled by this, this small piece of wunderkind writing, and so relieved that Annie was what he thought she was, that he found himself googling that line from Thoreau. (laughs) No, it was Emerson. And jotting it down and then printing off her pages and crossing out sections, making notes in the margins, adding in exclamation marks besides the parts that were original, those parts that tore him up. We're caught him off guard. Hi. Hi. Is it Annie? Yeah. Yes, Annie. Did you want to discuss the class? Do you feel you're able to keep up with the material?
0: <laughs> That's funny, but I can't think how to keep the joke going. You read it? I greet you at the beginning of a great career.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote that line to Walt Whitman in 1855 about leaves of grass. (laughs) Annie? Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, in case this makes you stop crying, it's not that good. (laughs) I've edited Where You Lose Me, where it gets a little obvious. It's 16 pages long. It finishes on page 11 and so on. I used a red pen just to be a dick. I mean, good characters, good twists. It surprised me. And your dialogue is fucking great. You're a natural. You like my work. I can tell. It's not an imitation of my style exactly, but it's Any. You, your, that blank look, is that you somewhere off in your thoughts, being a wunderkind?
0: No. I'm a very small person.
3: No, turns out you're not. I can keep that door closed for five minutes. How's that for a... <sighs> Annie. Mm. Any in a hotel. They had been waiting a while now in a stupor of sexual longing. He'd taken his pants off and then put them back on because it felt sleazy to wait in a hotel with no pants on.
0: Sorry, I'm late. I couldn't find it.
3: <sighs> I'm happy you came. Mm, fuck. You okay? Yeah. You look...
0: I was, uh, talking to my mom. Telling her about, I don't know, college. She, uh, hadn't heard from me in a while. I've been
3: with, well, you, mostly. You, um, you don't talk to her about me, do you?
0: No. This hotel's... You like this hotel?
3: Yeah, it's fine. Why? What's wrong with it? It seems fine to me. It's it's a little what? Sleazy? <laughs> Look, you can't keep coming to my house. Someone's gonna see us, so that means hotels. Annie
0: Annie. Just let me take my clothes off, and then you can
3: okay. do whatever. I, I'm sorry about the hotel. I'm sorry. Stop doing that. What the fuck? It's paid for. What? What is it?
0: The hotel room. So? You paid for so? it. So? So I want you to get your money's worth for this shitty hotel. Annie, holy
3: fuck. What's wrong? You don't like the hotel? I don't want to stay if you don't like it. I'm sorry I didn't get a nicer hotel. I wasn't thinking. I just wanted to see you. I booked the first thing that came up that was close to our places. Annie. Annie, I'm sorry, please don't cry. I'm not crying! Why are you angry at me? I don't. I don't know. Well, I don't know either. And if you don't know, and I don't know, no one knows. He wrapped his coat around her and got her out of there and drove them home. And then they didn't even make it out of the car. They fucked in the front seat. Which was way, way worse than if they just met at his house. Because they were in a fucking car with windows on four sides. And they beat the horn twice by accident and turned the windshield wipers on. And Annie clutched them and the whole time she had dark life in her eyes, depth, depth alongside a certain odd knowing look. The blankness was gone. And he suddenly wondered if that blankness had been youth. When he woke up in the morning, she'd already left, and he got ready for class quickly and numbly with a sick feeling churning in his guts. that breakfast only made worse. He jogged to campus, stepped out onto the auditorium stage five minutes before class was due to start, and there she was. She was hovering in the doorway with a group of female students talking and smiling. Her red coat made her stand out from the other girls. He watched her rub the back of her foot against her ankle and yawn. And he saw for a second, for a second, he saw she was 19 years old. And that's probably all she was. She was a little, prettier, a little smarter, more talented, maybe, than her cohort, but not, not enough to. She was, in short, the age-old object of fiction.
1: That was part two of Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes by Hannah Moscovich. You can hear the conclusion now on Play Me.
2: The play featured Sarah Canning and Vincent Gale. This recording was directed by Michael Shimada and featured some original music by Tobin Stokes. Sound design and editing are by Chris Tolley.
1: Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes received its world premiere at the Tarragon Theatre in Toronto in 2020. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And just a reminder, you can always catch us on CBC Radio 1 on Sunday nights at 9 and Wednesday nights at 11. We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can connect with us by emailing playme at cbc.ca. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Play Me through Google or Apple Podcasts. By subscribing, you can listen to all our past shows and you won't miss a single one of our new episodes. And while you're there, we would love it if you would consider rating and reviewing us. It helps spread the word about our podcast, bringing theatre to a whole new audience. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. A special thanks to our CBC team. Anna Ashate is our digital producer, and our executive producer is Cecil Fernandez.
2: The director of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani, and the executive director is Leslie Merklinger.
1: Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcast.com.